Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drifting Prime, and I am your host, Gerald Hernandez, and this week's guest is Pro 2 driver Troy Manners. Uh, he comes on to talk about what he's doing next year for Pro 2, um, and he, we talk a lot about uh, kind of like build stuff, uh, you know, not overbuilding stuff and, you know, getting quality seat time and stuff like that. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Not too bad. Uh, are you on your Wi-Fi? Yeah. On your yeah. phone? Wi- yeah. You know what? I don't know if it's yours or mine. Doesn't tell me whose connection, but we got a poor connection. Uh, oh, it went away. So we'll see what happens. Anyways, right, if it uh, if it doesn't work, I'm on a Wi-Fi extender in my garage. So if it doesn't work, I can always go over to my house, but. Gotcha, gotcha. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. Just uh, working on cars and doing everything in the off season here. Yeah, I feel you on that. I was poking around my car today, and then I was welding like shit. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna stop because I'm not a good welder to begin with, and this is extra ugly today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you definitely have those days when things don't go exactly as planned. Yeah, I was but... like I'm gonna shut it down before I make it worse. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, what you drive and where you drive. I'm Troy Manners. I'm from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, uh, world world famous groundhog town. Um, drive at S14.5 and Formula Drift Pro Two last year. Uh, I've been drifting since 2010. Actually, is when I started. So 2020. In years I've been doing this, so it's been quite a while now. Oh, wow. Uh, how long have you been competing in Pro 2? Uh, last year was my second season in Pro 2. Oh, okay. How, uh, where'd you finish at? Uh, I think we were like 10th overall for the year. Could have could have definitely had a, a little better showing, but just... I don't know things things really didn't click as well as I'd like to, and until Texas, we had a, a pretty good run in Texas, but uh, just I don't know, not not the the year I really wanted, but uh, all in all, I mean, with the amount of drivers and stuff there was, I guess it wasn't too bad. Ah, uh, okay. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, so how'd you even get into drifting? <laughs> uh, backstory is how exactly I got involved was pretty interesting, actually. Um, I, from from the very beginning, I, I never really had much of a motorsports background until I got into drifting. Um, I always rode dirt bikes like way back, you know, when I was a kid. But um, actual like motorsports and drifting and cars and that. Um, my neighbor had a Turbo Two RX Seven. It was one of my best friends, and mm. I I always hung out with him when I was a kid, and he was three years older than me, so. In the early days, he was, you know, into the end of the cars and things a lot earlier than I was. And I started going up to his house when I was 13, 14 years old and helping him work on his RX-7. And, you know, kind of kind of got interested in it. And uh, one of my other buddies had a RB-20-240. And I, that was, like, you know, the first 240 I ever saw. So we... Just, I just like you know helped him in his garage and working on his cars and they they did drifting but more or less just for 
just for fun, like nothing, nothing too serious. Mm. And, uh, and I was 15. I, uh, my, one of my other buddies had a, uh, a 240 hatch. I actually still have, it was my first car. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So he sold it to me as a shell for like 1200 bucks. And at the, I mean, I've always had, I've always worked for my dad. So, you know, I, all my money was always my money. I never, you know, it was like, Hey mom and dad, I want this or I want that. I've always, you know, bought all my own things from, even from the time I was a, a kid, dirt bikes or whatever. I always was, had my own money. So I was like, Oh, you know, t- talk to my dad. I was like, you know, I, my buddy has his car. I'd really like to, you know, buy this. And at the time it was supposed to be a, uh, my first car. I was 15 years old. I was like, oh, I'll buy this and I'll have a, a sweet first car. Mm. So, so I bought the car and, uh, bought a, uh, RB 25 for in it. And me and my buddy started building that and they were helping me out on that. And this was supposed to be a cheap, simple swap, but you know, as you know, cars are never no. cheaper. <laughs> no, the fuck they're not. <laughs> no. Nah, so, so I, you know, I had, I had, five or six thousand dollars saved up at the time and i'm like oh you know i'll be able to build this car and drive for a year on this amount of money well and you know as you know how that goes i was broke before i was even done yeah but so i so i got the motor you know started doing the swap and everything and we got it put together like late in 2010 um and i drove a few just local events um in pittsburgh actually uh, John Wagner, who used to be at Drift Alliance, he ran Formula D for a few years. He ran events in, in Pittsburgh. So I drove one there, and uh, we did like a private day. Mm. And I had like a, a small oval track in State College, PA. Uh, we, we drove an event there. And that was all I drove in 2010. And then 2011, I just kind of, you know, fixed all the issues with the car and Ended up putting a roll cage in it and stuff. And by that time, I was, I turned 16 in 2011. And by that time, I pretty much had abandoned hopes of that car ever being a street car because it was like fully gutted, fully caged by then. So, yeah. I just drove, in, in 2011, I just drove, you know, for fun, basically. I really hadn't, didn't have any goals or anything of competing at that time. I just did it for fun. Oh, and okay. uh, in, in 2011, I, just drove local stuff in Pittsburgh again mm-hmm. and uh, became pretty good buddies with John Wagner. And uh, I met Jimmy Caldwell, too, who is Chris For- one of Chris Forsberg's crew guys now. He's Chris Forsberg crew chief. I don't know if you know who Jimmy is or not. I've heard the name. Uh, I don't know him, like, directly or anything. Yeah, so he, he kind of took an interest in what I was doing, and he at the time did a lot of fab stuff and, and that. Uh, at the end of 2011... Wagner actually, he's like, hey, he's like, you need to come out to Englishtown, New Jersey, Club Blues. And I, at the time, I'd, I'd never driven anything. I drove like one oval event in Ohio, and I had driven on a skid pad. That was it. I'd never never been on a road course or anything. And I'm, mm-hmm. I didn't have a driver's license yet. I'm still 16 years old. Wagner's like, you need to come out to New Jersey. And, you know, he's, he rode in my car with me. He's like, you, you can drive. He's like, you need to come out and hang out and drive a road course i was like yeah all right yeah i'll come out so at the end of 2011 i went out to club loose in english town new jersey 
and they threw me in like B group or you know one of the lower levels and I drove like one session and Wagner comes out and he's like hey he's like you still have tire I'm like yeah I, I still got you know some for probably another session he's like all right he's like we'll stay out he's like you're in A group next session oh nice and at the at the time at Club Loose like there was a ton of like really 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 good people showed up like uh brian wilkerson from ma motorsports was driving then like matt walden uh like a bunch of old school fd guys you mm-hmm. know came to english town and drove every event and i was like oh man like sure i'm ready for this He's like oh yeah yeah you'll be fine we'll be fine so I'm, i met a lot of a lot of like you know like matt petty uh, who runs the e-town stuff uh, um steve angerman like a lot of old school comp guys that some of them don't even a lot of them don't even drive comp anymore but so they threw me in a group and Mm. ran a session and everybody's like man you can can really drive and i'm like oh you know i I, at the time i you know i was just out there doing it for fun and then so that was the end of that year and it did really well and i was like oh you know i really really enjoy doing this so the next year i was like yeah i'll probably get into some comp stuff so i ran uh back in back then there was xdc was still around so I went to uh, Hyperfest that year, mm-hmm. and that was one of the XTC rounds in West Virginia. Uh, I ended up I qualified, and I got knocked out. I think I got knocked out. Yeah, I got knocked out by Chelsea and Hofa, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> of all people. And uh, yeah, yeah, Chelsea. That was. I think that was Chelsea's first year in FD, and he was still doing some XDC stuff at the time. So I got knocked out by him, and then I went to an MDU event, which is my second comp ever. And I ended up getting second place there. And that to me was like I won like five hundred bucks or eight hundred bucks or something like that. I was like, Oh wow, like this is this is crazy. Like that's an insane amount of money to make when you're sixteen years old. Yeah. I was like, Oh wow, that'll pay for my next two events, you know. Like I, at the time my my car Hey, you're you're cutting out then, a lot. It's starting to cut in Can you hear out. me now? Yeah, I can hear you, but it, it cuts in and out. Like just Ever so often, like every at least every thirty seconds. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, uh, I, that's I, I switched off. I switched off the Wi-Fi, so okay, it might sweet. be like, now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 2012, I uh, had got in the comp scene and started driving some Midwest Drift Union stuff, and I got got second place at my first MDU event, and. Uh, I did one more XDC event, mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo, New York. I can't remember exactly where I finished there. Like it was top eight, um, and then I went to uh, Street Life Tour, which is one of the bigger MDU events back in those days. I think I got third. I got another podium, third place there. And uh, at the time, I was traveling a lot with Jeff Stone back. I'm sure you know who Jeff is. He yeah. ran FD for a few years. I became pretty good buddies of him. We traveled together a lot back in those days. And then 2013, I U.S. Drift released that they were going to come back into the competition scene and they were going to run a full full series. So I ran a full series of U.S. Drift in 2013, and that was actually the first year I got my license. Um, oh, shit. You got it right off the bat? Yeah, yeah. The second year I competed, I got my pro license. Uh that was actually a stacked pro-am field that year. Um, 
I got third. Jeff Stenbeck won. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Evans got second. And then uh, Dan Savage got fourth. So I earned my license that year. That was that was an awesome, an awesome pro infield. There's quite a few like ex FD guys in there. Uh, Mike Scudlerick, Nick Delasio, um, Steve Angerman drove quite a bit that year. It was it was a stacked pro am. It was a really really good competition field. So I got third place there, and that, that was the the first time I got my license. And then uh, the next year, I didn't actually run a full schedule of anything. The next year, I just kind of like went different places to compete in different series and then just ran big events and actually i won every single event i went to i we started out at uh hyperfest at summit point and i beat james evans in the final and, and won that and then i went down to florida and drove in what was streetwise drift then to orlando speed world and uh i actually i think i went against taylor hall in the final there and i won that event and then i went out to street life tour out in ohio that was an mdu event that year and uh or no that was actually u.s drifter in that event that year at street life tour and i won that too oh shit so and then the in 15 i did some pro-am stuff in 15 i just kind of bounced around again oh okay uh i ran a few u.s drift and a few mdu and by that time, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of ready for something else. So I, I had a few good finishes in 15. I think I got a couple seconds. Um, I don't think I won any in 15. And then 2016, uh, I, I started competing up in Canada. FD Formula Drift Canada was around then. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, so I I just kind of got to the point in program. I was like, uh, I'm, I'm ready for like the next level competition and, you know, just to bump up i didn't want to go to pro 2 yet because it was just the logistics of pro 2 or i mean it, it's a ton of money is where I, fd canada for me being in pennsylvania it's, it really wasn't that far so uh, i started competing up there and i actually the first event i was like kind of overwhelmed by how fast everybody's cars were and at that time there was a lot of the really good Canadian guys up there, like Mark Launderville, um, Miro of Cherk competed up there that year. Dave Briggs, like a lot of their best competed up there. So it was, it was definitely a learning experience. I got one podium that year, uh, one fourth place, like, but it was definitely a huge step up from what I was used to. And then, uh, the following year I competed in FD Canada again in 17. And, had a few more podiums, and then at the end of that year, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm ready to go back, come back to the U.S. and start competing in Formula Drift. So I petition. I, I had to petition in because it wasn't Canada wasn't technically like a feeder series, you know. So I had to petition in. So I petitioned in for a license and to compete in 2018, oh, and okay. uh, started into started into Pro Two that year. How does uh, uh how does the the Formula D Canada work? Do we anybody was able to compete or what was the deal? Yeah, um, you had to have like some sort of prior competition background to run in Formula Drift Canada. Uh, but being like with my pro am background stuff, they let me drive. But that that series actually that was seventeen was the last year they did that. Yeah, I remember that. Was, yeah, so I mean it was a. 
It was a good series. I mean, there was a lot of very, very good drivers in it. A lot of, a lot of people. You don't really hear a whole lot about the the drivers in Quebec and, and Canada in general, but those guys up there, can they can drive. I mean, it's honestly, compared to most pro-ams here, those guys are definitely a step up. Their cars are next level, and they're very, very good drivers. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, when yeah. I got into Pro Two and eighteen, then I I built my S fourteen point five in uh, the winter of eighteen to start competing in Pro Two. Um, I actually like finished it just like a few weeks before we went to Atlanta. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, in eighteen, um, we had a, a decent year. Honestly, like the first event. I really wasn't expecting what I, you know, got myself into in Pro 2 with just the, like, the lack of track time. I mean, in Canada and in Pro-Am, you kind of just, you know, it was like practice is more or less how many tires did you want to burn up. It wasn't like a, you know, oh, well, you're only going to get six runs before you have to go qualify. Like, you could pretty much just, like, you know, all right, well, let's go out for a run. Let's change this. Let's go out for a run. Like, you just, you know, ran, ran, ran. Because we're a pro too, it it was just like, all right, well, here's a brand new track and a brand new car. You got five laps before qualifying, like figure it out. Jesus. And you know, you it, it's if you make one mistake, it's like, all right, well, you know, next run, and and by before you know it, it's like, all right, well, practice is done, time for qualifying. So that was definitely the the biggest thing in pro two the first year mm. was just. I hadn't driven on any of the tracks, so it was like, well, you know, once you got a setup that even decently worked, you kind of had to just roll with it into qualifying and just make the car drivable. Um, I actually did one other event in Canada in 2018. That first year I did Pro 2, I did a DMCC event. I got second place in that. Okay. But other than that, I, I did, uh, did all the rounds of Pro 2, and that one DMCC was the only comps I did. Um, I did pretty well at Irwindale. It was honestly probably my favorite for a two-track I've ever driven. I really, really liked Irwindale. So do I. Uh, even though every time I've driven the FD layout, I've broken something or crashed my car. <laughs> so yeah, going like, into the lower bank at Irwindale is definitely a uh, definitely a game changer. There's like no room for error there. Yeah, I I, I blew the clutch up uh, this last one, and uh, it. It took out the motor with it, and then in 2018, I went into the wall trying to clutch kick with a broken axle on the bank. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't crash it or run down, but I definitely, like my, I think it was my first qualifying run. I hit the wall on the big bank and then, like, threw it in the lower bank and hit the wall, like, four, like, you can't even see it in, the, in, like, the qualifying video, but, like, I hit the wall, like, four times around the inner bank. Like, I tapped 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 i'm like oh man i'm going in i'm going <laughs> i yeah. like just didn't lift i ended up qualifying like pretty decent i think it was like seventh or sixth or somewhere towards it was like mid-pack but finished top eight at Irwindale that year so that was pretty good and then last year really i i should have done the car than i did um i, I kind of left it because because we had a good showing at Irwindale. I was kind of like, ah, you know, car is probably good enough. And, and really, if I had it to do over again, I would have changed some more things on the car. 
Yeah. Biggest thing being, I would have, I changed turbos before Texas, and it made like a huge, huge difference. Like up the power, like I got 100 horsepower, oh, and yeah. it made a huge difference. Uh, if I if I had it to do over again, I would have done that at the beginning of the year and probably put a nitrous setup on the car because I, I think, it, especially with Florida and uh, St. Louis, our runups are so short. I was kind of getting killed off the line by the VA cars. Like it, it was just I had to short shift, you know, to get to to get to high gear to where I needed to be, and it was just I was getting killed off the line. So I think that would have helped a lot. But you know, hindsight twenty twenty. But if I if I had it to do over again, I definitely would have made some more changes to the car before last year. But at Texas, we qualified like I'll start off the year. Orlando had a top eight finish. Atlanta, I'm sure you watched the Atlanta deal in qualifying when it was like pouring down rain. Mm-hmm. They're standing all over the track. That was an interesting round. I made it in the show there with all oh, that was that was terrible. Like. Road Atlanta in the rain is like, I mean, you have Pro 1, Pro 2, so you have, you know, 80, 100 cars driving on the track. There's like an inch of rubber on the track, and then you dump torrential rain on top of it. It's like literally worse than driving on ice. Like, we watched like the first 20 cars go in Atlanta, maybe even more than that. And like, my spotter was like, just length the track like come in slow and because everybody was like in the sand trap like it was so slick so i came in like super slow first qualifying and like had a pretty decent run and then kind of messed up the last corner so i got like a 60 some which was one of the only scores in the board at that time but then coming in the second run i was like on the bubble i was like i have to put something down i ended up qualifying there but it wasn't you know the best but i think i think i ended up 14th something like that in qualifying yeah and then i had a top 16 there i remember watching that round um and everybody like had never touched rain before like a lot of the guys yeah. had never driven in rain before and i was like oh we'll enjoy that <laughs> i mean i'm a pretty decent rain driver i mean I'm Pennsylvania, so i'm driving this i actually have a beater s13 i drive every day in you know winter time so i'm pretty used to slick conditions but road atlanta whenever you have all that rubber on it and like bottom of the hill there's like standing water on the track it was definitely very very difficult yeah i bet and then you're supposed to be like going pretty quick to for atlanta right like to coming down the hill and then for it to just be all like ice i'm sure it's not oh yeah yeah atlanta in the dry like entry speeds are crazy like in the rain you literally had to enter like half that speed to even stay on the track because like i said like the bottom of the hill there in the dip like before the sand trap there was literally like standing water on the track it was it was honestly terrible to try to drive it but yeah but yeah so atlanta didn't i mean that made it difficult and then i, I ended up finishing i, I got knocked out top 16 and then uh st louis i honestly didn't really care for the new layout that much like it just no it one was, seemed to care for that layout <laughs> Sorry, my dog is. She heard like a garage door open. And she's going nuts. <laughs> no big deal. <sighs> she's a mess sometimes. Ah, uh, sorry, you were saying, St. Louis. But anyways, back yeah. to St. Louis. 
I don't know. Like the first part of the track, even with the short run up, wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But like that second section, like coming out of like the the hairpin, like that straightaway, it so was like, just like super awkward to get the car like where you wanted it. Was it like because of speed? Like you didn't have enough speed to do what they wanted you to do right there. Honestly, the biggest thing was like the track like wasn't wide enough. I felt like it, they should have made the track like another five or six feet wider, and it would have made the swing into that rear touch and go like way way better because you could have actually carried more angle through that straightaway like what they wanted you to do and like the space that they had it set up it just it, it didn't flow well for me some people liked it some people didn't i, I just didn't care for it yeah but i actually didn't qualify there my first qualifying run like i had a awesome first part of the track and coming out of that like the the hairpin the sun was like right directly in my eyes and I like completely missed the touch and go. And then the second run, I'm sure you saw that controversy over like the lines not being painted on the track and they didn't have any lights on. So it was like pitch black. So, I mean, I thought my second run was decent, but honestly, like I don't even have a judge seat. Like the judges were like a long ways from the track, like up to the tower. I don't even know how they were even seeing what we were doing with as dark as it was so i mean that was a bunch of controversy on the internet over that of not having lights and stuff but uh i don't know that i didn't i ended up not qualifying there mm-hmm. and i didn't qualify the first year in st louis either that oh you did the, the other track now the first that was the, both times i've not qualified in pro two were both at st louis oh shit. that place had the place hasn't been very good to me but the first year the layout it could have been better if they would have moved the clips, I think. It was a ton faster. Like, it was actually a really fast track. Uh, just, they had, like, inner clip, inner clip on the start in 2018. Like, that was, like, the, fir- the first two clips were inners. And to me, it the straightaway would have flowed better if they had an inner and then an outer. Mm-hmm. But they said something in the driver's meeting about, like, we couldn't get, to the, we couldn't, like, tear off the edge of the track or something. So that's why they had made an inner clip. I'm not really sure, but. Yeah, like I get there's it. been a lot. There's been a lot of pro ams run there, and like they always ran it like different, and it seemed like it flowed a lot better. But I didn't mind that track layout. I just really didn't, didn't really drive that well the first year and didn't qualify. But uh, then this year, coming into Texas, they made the track change where they moved the first inner to an outer and made that whole sweep like the first zone an outer, and I like preferred that way more that was that was a track change i definitely did like it it just made it kept your speed up and it's kind of deceiving and like you know in videos and stuff mm-hmm. but the first corner of texas is actually like a really big bottleneck like to do it the way they used to do it with the inner clip before the power alley you had to check up like so much at that inner clip and like basically like stop and then take off again like it was it looks like it's really fast in the start, but when you're actually driving it, 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 it there's like a huge slowdown there if, if you use if they use it as an inner clip on that at the end of the first zone. So I really like that track change this year, how they kicked it to an outer, and it made the track flow a lot better for me. I, I qualified third there, so that was had a pretty good show in there. And then top sixteen, I. Uh, I something happened i was like having a breaking up issue in practice and we ended up changing some stuff on the tune and it didn't happen like on the limiter it would cut power 
and uh, then in top 16, like it, we changed some stuff and it didn't do it again. And then top 16, like at the last, or yeah, it was the, the inner clip before the tire wall, like the car like shot off and I was like, Oh man, I'm crashing. Like you're like full throttle, full commitment there. And, uh, and you flick at the tire wall and like right where I needed like everything it had, like the car cut off. And I was like, I'm crashing. Oh, and so I was like, I just flicked the car like as hard as I could and like pretty much spun and I didn't wreck, but that was the end of that. So I was kind of disappointed with that because I really felt like I, I had a pretty good shot at winning there, actually. Like the car was fast. I was driving well, but, you know, stuff happens, I guess. But as long as I didn't crash the car, I guess that was all that mattered because we watched uh, it was Rome Charpentier went into the wall like yeah. super. Yeah, and like that's all, all I could think about. Like when I was like the car caught, I was like I'm crashing like super hard. And actually, right before me, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Josh Robinson and uh, I can't remember Rob. The other. Yeah, yeah, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was on the line. I was on the line to go, and I watched him like both eat the tire wall i was like oh man i really don't want yeah, to do that yeah that was a wild wreck uh to watch them both go into it yeah that was a hard hit oh, no. actually. Uh, did they both go into it or did rob go into it and then hit his car yeah i think rob hit the tire wall and josh crashed into rob and like destroyed the entire front suspension on his car so that was the end end of both of them yeah unfortunately <laughs> yeah that's the uh, fun part of racing i guess yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that was actually a couple of hits in Texas. There was some super hard crashes there. Yeah, well, I was I was curious as to why they got rid of it. That might have been why, because there's been like so many wrecks there over the years, especially with the tire wall. I don't know if it was. I think maybe somebody said that they might be might have been the track uh, that are just hard to deal with or something. I'm really not sure because that. That seemed to draw a lot of spectators and stuff, and I mean, I, I liked the track; it was it was good. But there must have been some sort of a conflict there that they was that a took fast... Yeah, was that a faster track than Irwindale? Um, the way it the way they had it set up this year, it was fast with the outer zone being, you know, moved and it was like more flowing. I guess it was fast, but um. I don't know. I would say Irwindale was probably still quicker just because of the level of commitment that it took to like to do Irwindale right. It's it's pretty full throttle, full commitment. Yeah. I, mean, I I I don't mind Texas, but I I definitely liked Irwindale more. A lot of people don't like bank tracks, but honestly, I I really enjoy driving banks. I think it's fun. Uh, I agree. Uh, if I could drive better on them, then I'd be more happier. But. Until that day comes. Right now they're just yeah. uh it's either that or like we have like go kart tracks out here. It's either like fly off the track or fly into a wall, pick one. <laughs> yeah. At least, you know for, for Irwindale's definitely a car crusher, that's for sure. But Yeah. Yes it is. I've seen quite a few people wreck there. I think I've even seen uh Ryan Little wreck there one night, um, and he was just doing a Thursday night drift. Yeah. And he got sucked yeah, into the wall. Inner, that inner bank for sure. Like the big bank's not as bad, but like that inner bank, like 
when you come off the big bank, you're like wide open, full throttle, hit that clip. And like, there's so little room for error when you're flicking into the lower bank. Like, to hit the line they want you to hit, like, there is literally, you're either 10 feet off the wall or, or you're, you're right like, on it. You're buried in it. Like, it, there's so little room for correction or error there. Yeah. But that's what makes it fun for sure. But definitely the challenge, uh, definitely a challenge that everyone kind of handles those differently. Some people don't like like a big challenge like that. They're like, Mm-mm, I'd rather not. But I think that stuff's fun. Oh yeah, for sure. That's that's kind of my favorite style of driving. Just like the foot through the floor, yep. you know, wide open. But so uh, what, what's your whole setup on your car? What do you got going on in that uh, thing? My S14 is a uh, VVTi 1J. Um, it's on a Link Fury ECU, uh, four-speed high-tower dog box trans, triple-plate ACT clutch, uh, quick-change rear end. Uh, that car was on Neo Motorsport brakes and coilovers. Uh, it's tuned on VP Racing Fuel 118. Um, it made, like, I actually, when I changed turbos, I went to a Borg Warner 8474 EFR. It made uh, six... 640 wheel last time i had on the dyno before texas uh, before i was on a precision it was a smaller precision it just really didn't have the top end so we went to the the efr before texas 640 wheel it was it rips pretty good on that um yeah it's it's a pretty simple engine setup um the je pistons uh crower rods like nothing crazy on compression um brian crower 272 cams springs retainers um yes the motor builds nothing crazy yeah it's just the standard what you would do to any motor to make it more reliable yeah that motor's been super good uh prl motorsports built that bottom end for me back in like 2015 um i refreshed it once like new bearings and stuff but other than that that motor's been flawless for Oh wow! Really, the only thing I changed on it last year is I actually ran on Power FC, Apexy Power FC for like ever, and then uh, I got hooked up with Link and switched to the Link Fury. But that was definitely a huge step too. Does the, the uh, Link? Does the uh, running like the aftermarket um, ECUs really change a lot? Like when it comes to like putting down um, power and stuff like that, or is it just like more? Like tuning capabilities. I don't. I don't know a whole lot about that stuff. So, just curious. I mean, capabilities. Yeah. Um, one. One thing that the link does that has like the lambda, you know, the correction. So like different altitudes, different places. You know, you're still hitting your target AFRs and everything. So, that that definitely helps. I mean, when you're traveling all over the country. To have the ECU to be able to correct the tune for elevation and things like that. That I've noticed the difference in that too. Oh, you know, okay. being tuned and being tuned in Pennsylvania, and then you go somewhere else. Like it, the Power of C didn't have any of those capabilities. I didn't see. I so didn't that know. Made it, yeah, so that like I mean, people really wouldn't think of it like elevation and climate and things like that it makes a, a big difference on that. Yeah, those are all factors uh, that people don't really take into consideration. Yeah, and and with the link too, just the overall like software and, and being able to go into the ECU and just. Like if you have an issue, be able to look at a log and be like, "Oh, okay, well this this happened here. Like maybe this is the problem." 
that makes a, a huge difference too. being able to pinpoint problems and just see where issues are. But what, what was your uh, biggest hurdle in like pro two? Um, honestly, I would just have to say that the track time, you know, you sh- you show up to a brand new place and it's one, one of the biggest things that people don't think about and, and like whenever you're going into Pro 2, like when you have that many drivers and with Pro 1 and everybody's laying so much rubber on the track, like the car is always just so tight. Like, you, like, I'm like you, you get in the car and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to set tire pressure and I'm going to go out and drive. There's like so many more factors in FD that, that people don't even think about. Like, I mean, I never had a quick change rear end until I came to FD. And, you know, I had two ratios and a stock r200 240 diff that's all i ever used mm-hmm. and you start start playing with things like gearing and alignment suspension and don't realize like how much that changes the car and like how many different factors there are to figure out to make the car actually drive perfect and like in fd that's the thing like you don't have time to adjust that like, you have to be able to make setup calls and like you know sometimes you go out and the car is just terrible like it's like you know i can't even drive this thing and you're on a brand new track you know in that in that atmosphere and stuff and i think that's the biggest challenge is just being able to show up i mean sometimes you hit a setup sometimes you're completely off and, and the car is just terrible so i think that's like one of the biggest things is just being able to show up and whenever things aren't working and and you're just not driving well is just being able to be like okay this is what we need to do you know, and, and be able to go from one run, the car being terrible, to the next run being able to be like, you know what, all right, we're, we're on the right path here and, and things are working now. Um, but people don't understand, like, how limited time you have and how, you know, much you really have to adapt to things, like, instantaneously to be able to, to even qualify. And that's that's the thing in Pro too. You got 40-some drivers competing for 16 spots. I mean, you're not – you can't throw together – a half-ass run and expect to make the show i mean yeah and 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 pro two too i mean they tell you what they want in the driver's meeting and you know some people listen some people don't <laughs> it seems like but oh you know like, they that critique too? you they critique you you know down to the last wire i mean it's if you have a small correction that might be 10 points you know so it's and it seems like too that they definitely almost judge you throughout the entire practice and and qualifying. Like if you're doing really well, like the whole weekend, it seems like they reward you more for that. As like from watching this, if like somebody's not doing well at all, and then they lay down a killer run, it doesn't seem like they reward them as much as they should. I don't know. It, I see what you're saying. Just, um... It just it seems that way to me. I'm not saying that is the way it is, but it almost seems like an event you're killing it from the start to the finish, like when you're driving very consistent, it almost seems like they reward you more for that than qualifying. I mean, I'm not saying that is the case, but it, it almost seems that way to me anyways. Like whenever you're laying down smooth, consistent runs the whole way through, it seems like they reward that more in qualifying whenever you lay down a smooth, consistent, good run. But if you're like doing not so good and then you do like a killer um, qualifying I, run, I it's like it. It, you don't get as high as 
as high of a score as somebody else might. Who's yeah, been I mean, doing good all day? Way. Yeah, like, no, I, I know what I've you're. Seen, yeah, I know what you're saying. I've seen times where, like, you know, you'll have somebody lay down a killer run, and they're like, "Well, oh, I can't believe my score," and it's like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like it's, I mean, it's it's all politics. It's judge it. It's a judge sport, I guess. So you're always gonna have. I mean, you know what they see and what you feel in the car sometimes is two completely different things as well. Although. So, I mean, I've. I've had runs where I was like, wow, I really killed it. And then my spotter's like, yeah, you weren't even close there. Like, you need to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. It's like, but, all right, I'll, I'll shut up then. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll try better next time. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's definitely kind of like when you feel comfortable in your car and then like, they're like, nope, you were nowhere near where you're supposed to be. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you can be, you know, driving the car, practicing or whatever, and like think you're absolutely killing it. And then like you get the, you get the FD, and it's like, you know, you. Sometimes it's like, oh, I, I can't even believe I even drove before. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's just a different different mindset and a different atmosphere. I guess is the biggest thing. It's just it's very hard to adapt to that sometimes like the new track a new new car a new team a new you know it's just it's like when you get on the big stage sometimes it's very hard to adapt to it i guess whenever you're not used to that but i don't know it's it's definitely a, a different different thing compared to pro-am or you know just going out and driving and having fun it's a lot of pressure and to adapt to that it's it's uh i don't know it's it's definitely a different mindset that's for sure but i mean you'll see a lot of people that, that can kill it in practice you know and they're out there laying down 90 point runs and then when it comes to qualifying like they just completely fly off of yeah just completely choking like it's like wow like i don't know it's that's the thing when it comes to competition drifting like you know regular racing like you know, you're doing track or something like that like it's you got 40 50 laps to to pull it together and like you can make mistakes and still win drifting qualifying competition whatever like you have one run to make it happen and if you screw up it like it's over like you dr- you traveled the whole way across the country for absolutely nothing like it's definitely a different thing that's for sure but I, at the same time though I, I think that's what i like love about it is you know that pressure and having to do it all right this second right now and make everything perfect i think that's what makes it fun though so what what are your plans for this year um i'm gonna do a another full season of pro two and uh then i'm gonna do uh i don't know if you've seen that clutch kickers i have seen that that looks very very interesting yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna run that like shit, that'll pay but, uh, for a whole season if you just win like two rounds almost. Yeah. Or at least yeah. like your your uh your travel and um like entry fees and stuff. If you yeah, break, for sure. If you break something, I'm sure you're on your own. But um actually I haven't I was gonna release this a few weeks ago. But uh I talked to you about doing the podcast and I I didn't release it yet and I guess when this podcast comes out, I'll release it on social media. But uh, it comes I'm out tonight, not, buddy. <laughs> uh, 
Does it? All right. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not driving my own car this year in Pro Tour. What? What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I'm driving for PRL Motorsports in their house car. So uh, what, not... what is their house car? Or are we not allowed to talk um, about I'm that yet? Sitting in front of it right now in my garage. Um, it's a 2013 Subaru BRZ. Oh, fucking sweet. So what's what's that thing got done to it? What motor package are you guys running? Um, it's going to be another VVTi 1J. Okay. But but uh, we're going to do direct port nitrous. Um, a little bit harder tune, just, you know, a little more power, a little more everything. But, uh, the motor, I actually, it's uh, the motor that's going in the car actually is my spare from last year. Um, I talked to the owner, Pat, from PRL, and I was like, yeah, we can use this motor if, you know, we're actually probably going to have something else built maybe later on the season or for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this year, we're going to use this motor. Um, it's going to be a similar – everything else in the drivetrain is going to be basically the same as my S14. Um, it's going to be a four-speed dog box, a high-tower dog box, uh, quick change and all that, ACT clutch. But uh, the motor, the head I had, it's a little bit different. Um, it's got shameless buckets, a little bit of port work, so it should flow a little better on the top. Um, I'm, I would say it's probably going to make around 700 wheel, and then we're going to use a, a small shot of nitrous to spool the turbo, just basically to pick up the slack on the bottom end. But uh, it should be a should be a very competitive car. Do you guys have like a lot of uh, boost lag with the um, the inline sixes? Um, that more warmth on my S14 is not too bad. Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier about like just the tracks with like the the short run up and stuff. Uh, it's, it is nice to have, I think the direct port nitrous will make a huge, huge difference. So. Have you ever done a V8 car? I've driven a V8 car. Actually last year was the first time I ever drove a V8 car. Um, I drove a V8 350Z mm-hmm. and it was just mild LS build. I probably made like 450, 500 wheel. And I don't know. I just didn't, didn't really care for it that much honestly like i've never never been into the v8 thing which is kind of odd because like i live in redneckville usa (laughs) you think that that i'd be in the v8s but i don't know i've just it's to me like it was always like i mean i grew up riding dirt bikes i never really i never raced dirt bikes but i was always into riding dirt bikes and to me it was just kind of like the two-stroke versus four-stroke dirt bike dilemma like oh yeah okay i could see that I like the the wide open full throttle kind of thing, and that's how I've always been in drifting. And the, the turbo, the inline six thing, always just fit me a lot more than it did the V8 kind of thing. So I, I mean, there's a lot of V8s that are super badass, like you know, like the mass motorsport stuff that drives the 10,000 RPM and things. But yeah, that thing's fucking for wild. me. Yeah, that's you know they're fifty thousand dollars or forty some thousand dollars. Yeah, that's to me like the the Jay Z thing is just. That's that's my thing, and I don't know. It works for me, so I can't wait to drive with with a direct port nitro setup. I think that'll make all the difference in the world. Uh, how did that deal come out to be? If you don't mind me asking, it was just like you approached them, or they reached out to you. Um, I actually started working with PRL back in like 2015. Uh-huh. Um, at the time, they built built motors and and did shop work and they did like a small amount of manufacturing they were into like hondas and things like that like they make like now they make 
a ton, like that's all they do is is aftermarket parts like cold air intakes intercooler kits turbo kits you know off the shelf manufacturing parts oh okay but uh back in the back a few years ago they did engine builds and i was wanting to build my motor and uh my buddy jimmy caldwell had knew a few of the guys that worked there and he's like hey if you want to get a motor built he's like you should definitely talk to these guys so the owner pat came out to an event at uh, midvale speedway on ohio that jimmy caldwell and john wagner run and i met him and uh gave him a ride in my car and just you know got the bullshit and stuff and he's like hey come down to the shop you know check it out and came down went down to the shop and started you know just talking about motor stuff and he helped me out on my motor you know nothing crazy just you know helped me out on the machine work and retuned my car for free and just started you know a small deal with him and uh i've been working with them ever since like on tuning and stuff and in the meantime their shop has grown like yeah, an insane amount. Like they went from a few guys working there to a bunch of employees, and now they have a bunch of CNC machines. And all they do is manufacturing. They actually don't do any customer car stuff at all. Oh they, wow! They do solely manufacturing, and their their manufacturing stuff has taken off a tremendous amount. So uh, the owner Pat, you know, everybody there has became like very good friends of me in the last five years, and just work closely with them and. You know, always appreciated everything they did for me. And uh, the owner, Pat, he's always been into racing. They, they did a lot of drag racing. They were into, like, GTR stuff, uh, front-wheel drive drag racing. They had an S15 back in the day. They did a lot of drag racing stuff. with never drifting, but just, uh, you know, working with them over the years. And, and the owner, Pat, actually at the beginning of this year, or at the beginning of last year, uh, approached me with the idea. They had a he had bought a brand new Subaru BRZ to do some product development stuff on the, the FA20 platform. Oh, okay. And they they did a, a turbo kit stuff for it um, and just a few other things. But they, he said the market for it really didn't take off like they expected it to. So he had this car sitting around. And uh, we actually they, – they, they built a prototype turbo kit for the car. And uh, he ended up selling the car after they kind of – abandoned the uh the turbo kit project on it and a buddy of his bought it and then pat ended up buying the car back and that's whenever he called me up and he's like hey he's like i gotta come down to the shop he's like i got got some things to talk about so i went down to the shop and he's like hey uh he's like i got this brz back he's like i really don't have anything i really want to do with it so he's like let's make an fd car out of it and of course i was like yeah i mean i'd, I'd be more than more than happy to do that so it's definitely a proven chassis yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm just excited to get in something other than an S chassis. But, yeah, he, he approached me with the idea, and, uh, you know, I, I said, he's basically said, no, we don't have time here at the shop to do it as, as busy as they are with everything. So he said, you know, you you know how to build cars. You built your he, – he really liked my S14 that I built. He's like, I want one of those. Oh, yeah. So so whenever he approached me with the idea, I said, yeah, I said, you know, I, I can come come pick up the car and – start on it so i actually not many people even know that i have the car but uh, i started on it last winter just getting some fab stuff done on it and things like that started on the cage and then once the season started i kind of was busy with other things but uh now i'm back full swing into it but uh yeah it's it's getting there now um i'll, I'll be posting now that i came out with you know that i'm actually doing it, I'll, I'll post the build on social media and stuff and 
get updated on where it is now. But the you know the cage is all done. Um, today I was just working on like some dash fitment and. Uh, this was gonna ask you. Do my, you do all your own work? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something yep, you do. just kind of picked up, or is it something you've kind of always known how to do? Because you said you work for your dad. I'm not sure what you guys do for a living. Um, for a living, I I actually I worked for my dad from the time I was like you know, a little kid. Um, we do scrap metal recycling, so no that's shit. Honestly, <laughs> like yeah. you guys own a um, like a yard. Yeah, we own a scrap yard. Okay, that's that's what I was about to say. Like, yeah, so I don't think you're like scrapping metal. Like, I don't know how much money you can make off of that. Like picking it up no yeah so my dad owns a scrapyard and uh it's it we're just a small company it's just me and my brother and my dad um for the most part and uh yeah we've always done that and trucking uh, we have a bunch of trucks and stuff so i'll do i'll do that too i have a drive truck and do scrap metal stuff honestly that's probably where i picked up driving so easily is like from the time i was a little kid i I've been in, you know, excavators and loaders and dozers and stuff since the time I was like six years old. Oh shit! So, yeah, that's so cool. that's probably where I, where I picked up driving at. But yeah, I've, my dad's always, you know, gave me a job and stuff like like so from the time I was a little kid, it was never a, you know, a mom and dad out. I want this, mom yeah. and dad I want that. It's my work, dad, you know, my dad. For it. Yeah, if you want something, go. I, I I'll more than gladly pay you, but I'm not gonna give you give you shit for free you know go out there and work get it done so i need to do that with my kid that's uh that's definitely teaches you a lot obviously it's gotten you where you're at right now um oh for sure and without my dad you know doing what he has for me and you know teaching me that i mean I, i think that reflects a lot back onto you know like my sponsors and and the people that have got me where i'm at with that too is just you know appreciating what people do for you you know you, if you if you get everything handed to you your whole life you don't you know if somebody you know a sponsor gives you uh, a $500 part for 100 bucks you know a lot of people would be like oh well it wasn't free like you know to me that's that's $400 in my pocket that I didn't have to pay that's that's you know a day and a half two days of work that I didn't have to do like I appreciate that thank you you know yeah exactly. and I, I think I think my attitude towards companies and, and the people that I've dealt with, I think that's taken me a long way. It's just appreciating what people do for you, whether it's small, whether it's big, you know, cause they don't like have to said, do anything. Maybe, yeah. You know, they, that's, that's just it. You know, people don't have to do anything for you, but to me, you know, if, if somebody maybe 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, somebody helping you out isn't a big deal to them. But to me, it's like, Hey, you know, I appreciate that. If that's money. I didn't have to go out and make and spend them on, you know, on my own. So, you know, I think that's I think that's definitely taken me a long ways, and I I'm glad my my mom and dad raised me the way they did, and you know taught me the value of a dollar from an early age, and I think that's honestly one of the main reasons I've gotten where I have in this sport, and it's I I take pride in that, you know I I mean there's a lot of people that you know kind of just have an unlimited budget and can you know if if they don't have it they can just go buy it. Me for the longest time. I mean, my my cars within the last few years have been good, but for the longest time, I mean, I did a lot with just shit equipment, you know, because I, a, I couldn't afford it, and b, I just didn't know how to do it, you know. So like yeah. everything I've done, fab work, everything I've just I've taught myself, and just progress, 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 keep keep grinding, keep grinding, and you know, 
get as far as you can. It's, but uh, that to me is one of the most enjoyable parts about professional drifting is is the business aspect of it and just grinding and see how far you can take it. I mean, I, I if you had told me ten years ago, I'd be, you know, building someone else's car and driving for somebody else. I, I would have been like, "There's no way," you know. But I think that's when you start out, you, you know, like that's always the dream is just to, is to drive for somebody else. And I don't know. I guess I've, I'm getting to the point where I'm, you know, I'm achieving that. But at the same time though, people, people also think that once you get to that point, it's just a, a cakewalk. Cake yeah. I'm just going to show up. Oh, he's got drive. it made now. Yeah. No, but you have to work for that stuff. Not. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, I don't own the car and that's not my, that's not my expense that's not my thing but at the end of the day i still run the entire program like prl and and the owner pat he doesn't have the the time and things to do that so i still set up all the sponsorship deals and i've carried over you know everything from my program and and talked to everybody and got everybody on board for this program and i still do all that i still build the car you know that's still all my deal but that's you know i i enjoy doing that that's i feel like once when you build a car yourself for one, I, whenever somebody's like, wow, you know, that looks really good, I, I take a hell of a lot of pride in it because, like, yeah, I did it myself, you know? Yeah. So I, I still enjoy that aspect of it. And honestly, like, you know, I would, I mean, yeah, sometimes it'd be nice to be able to just show up and drive. But honestly, I, I enjoy the hard work. And, you know, whenever I debut this car and things work well and, you know, I do well or whatever, it's it's like, you know what, I, I built this car myself. And I don't know, I, I take a lot of pride in that, I guess. But, yeah, it's definitely definitely awesome. I got a lot of stuff going this year and I guess kind of achieved a goal that I've, you know, set out from the beginning to do is, you know, to to drive for someone else and be able to do that. So I'm pretty I'm really excited about it and I I can't thank them guys enough for you know, especially Pat, the owner of PRL for putting the faith in me to do it and giving me the car to do it and I'm I'm really excited about it. So it's, yeah, it's coming together well. Sweet though. Um, what it, you know, but not everyone's gonna get that deal. And so no, obviously no. you're appreciative of it. Um, so with like, since you've been in Pro Two, what your second year now, or just finishing up your second year, um, what are some of the mistakes you see the guys coming in from Pro Am making? Well, I mean. Some guys, it seems like, come in and seem to hit the setup right or hit this right, and then didn't they do well? And you see other guys that maybe killed it, and you know, in pro am, and then they come in and they struggle really hard. Um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint every situation, you know, and, and say exactly what the issue was. Um, I think biggest thing is if you have a car that's working don't try and reinvent the wheel to come into pro two. I mean, there's certain things you need. There's certain things you don't, but just because something, and this goes from pro am to grassroots to pro two to pro one, just because something works for somebody else does not mean it's going to work for you. Like, you know, I could, I could have a, you know, the, the most insane badass car ever and somebody else could get in it and, not like it or you know whatever it's it's all preference i mean i you 
people I think seem to like they see one thing work like okay oh James Dean has this that's what I need yeah I wouldn't you know I, I don't necessarily think that that's there's in drifting I don't think there's any specific formula that that makes success whatever works for you and and you see a lot of people they'll go from a mild pro-am build you know and then try to come into pro 2 and spend all this money and it just doesn't work and they're like oh well, you know I can't buy why am I struggling why this why that you know if something's working for you I'm not saying you can't improve it or improve on it but you know don't try to completely change what you're doing to come into pro too and i think that's a big mistake people people do and above that is i see a ton of people that they go from driving you know 15 20 events a year between competition and practice and then they go to pro too and they can't afford anything else and they drive four events a year well seat time is key you know yeah i don't i don't think that you have to you have to drive outside of Pro Two, and you have to get seat time and this and that. Like I said, it's a lot of Pro Two events. If you don't qualify, you might not get ten runs in an entire weekend. And you know, I don't think people understand that either when they come into Pro Two is how little track time you get. And but yeah, I think I think that's one of the biggest things is a over overbuilding cars and trying to completely change what you're used to. And especially, like, you know, back to the whole track time thing, you might be able to figure something out if you have 20 runs to do it, but you come in with something you, you're not used to, to try and do it in, in three or four runs, it just, it just simply doesn't work. So I think that's an, one reason why people struggle a lot. And I think people underestimate how much it actually costs to come out and do this stuff. I mean, you know, Pro 2... I don't have any kind of an extravagant program, but, you know, I take my guys out to eat, you know, and treat them well. We're not living in a – we're not sleeping in the pickup truck to come and do this stuff. But, you know, when you figure in tires and food and stay, and fuel, you're spending a bare minimum to do it with, you know, spare tire or spare parts and, like, to have a, a decent program. And this is completely excluding car build. Like, this is just – what you spend on a weekend, you, you'll easily spend $5,000 per weekend, depending on where the event's at. And I don't think people realize, like, you know, what it costs to go and do. Yeah, that's, like, uh, you can, five grand's a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a ton of money. Yeah, for sure. it's not, it's not just. And I mean, I, I have a lot of help, you know, like, with sponsors and stuff, like, oh, I don't, you know, I people that cover my entry fees and crew fees and this and that, you know, so it's, I mean, to pay everything out of pocket, like, especially like, you know, like I said before, like people building a brand new car to come out, like you spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a new car and then start from scratch in the bank account to start the year. I mean, it's, it's a ton of money to do for sure. But, you know, you, at the same time you drive, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, I drive to California and I don't have spare parts, I don't have spare this. And something breaks, it's like, why did I even bother wasting my money if I didn't have what I needed to come out here and compete? Yeah. You know, if you're going to travel that far, you, you have to spend the money because, you know, it's to do it in half acid, it's, it's a waste of time if something goes wrong. So, but yeah, I mean, just the logistics of it, not even including the cars, just so much, you know. And, and especially, you know, you get into, 
as the word like pro-am, most people drive a local pro-am. You're, you're, you know, okay, well, event Saturday, we'll leave Friday afternoon, have to take a half a day off work, you know, and you drive a few hours and you're there, whatever. It's the word, you know, pro too, to run a full season, you know, for me, like, okay, Florida's 15, 16 hours away. St. Louis, 14 hours away, which this year, New Jersey, that's like the five and a half hours, like what, which is the closest round I've ever had. You know, California, that's 36-hour drive, 38-hour drive. So, you know, you went from being able to call your buddy up, you know, hey, hey you're going to take a half day off work Friday and come out, you know, to being like, okay, now i got to pay for his flights, work around his work schedule. Like, people can't, you know, most average people, they can't take two weeks off work to come with you to, to go. And it just adds a whole other headache to this situation, too. It's like, where you have to plan all this stuff. It's like, all right, well, you know, I got to book all these flights, book this, book that. I mean, there is a ton of work that goes in behind the scenes to just not even, you know, at the event, just to get there and get everything orchestrated, you know, for, for all your guys, for you to get there, for everything to line up. I mean, it's, it is a ton, a ton of headache and a ton of work for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, from from pro am to pro too, I just I think people severely underestimate what the what they're getting themselves into. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, I noticed like a lot of people will go in like with like new builds or something like that, and then they're just like they don't know the car or something like that, and they just don't do as well as they would have or they were doing in pro am. I see it all the yeah. time. And I think people get well. W- one, they spend all their money and, and get pissed off. At, the results or whatever and see i mean pro 2 didn't really surprise me on on that aspect of it i mean i knew what it was it was going to be expensive i knew this you know knew that but because i i had taken a lot of stepping stones to get there but yeah i mean the biggest thing i see people do now and like i see it constantly is you'll see somebody go to like one of these shootout events and and they'll do well it's like okay you know maybe they really prepped and they spent three four thousand dollars go to this event it's like they get a license and they're like all right well now i'm gonna run a full schedule of pro two it's like for one like one weekend to get a license versus four events spread out the entire way across the country like that one event does not even come close to preparing you for what what you're getting yourself into i mean it's i I don't know. I mean, I've seen the debate a lot of times on the shootout events and this and that. I mean, my opinion on that is, is I think the shootout events are cool. Like the big, like, you know, a lot of them are offering 5,000 to win, like the shootout and they get a bunch of drivers, this and that, this and that. I I mean, that's, that's a cool idea. But from a licensing standpoint, I feel like that formula drift should implement that, or, or even, you know, like the program series themselves should get together. And I think there should be like a point series in between the programs or in between the shootouts themselves. Like, you know, if you have a, a Northeast one, like up towards me, like, okay, you drive that one, then there should be one, you know, maybe in Texas, in the Midwest, in Florida. Like, I feel like you should have to, they should do something like that with the licensing events and, and make it to where you get a little bit more of a, understanding and adjust of the logistics of traveling and doing things like that and you know back to back to that point of things 
for like anybody in the Northeast, like around me, I would highly suggest that they go to Canada and compete. Like DMCC is a really good series. They pay, you know, pay decent money. There's a ton of good drivers and you kind of get, it's, you know, if you, if you're in the Northeast, I mean, it's still a ways to travel. You know, that's a, that's a good option too for, for people that are in pro-am want the next best thing, you know, or next level competition. I think that's another good option for people is to, is to go, you know, travel up to Canada and drive up there. That's a, solid group of drivers and you know get you some more experience and a different atmosphere and get you you know to understand the logistics of travel and things like that more before you jump into pro two and i would recommend that to somebody that's that's the approach i took with it and i definitely don't regret doing that it was a a good learning experience for sure but yeah i'm seeing a lot of people who will go to like the shootout events but and then again you see like some people who went to the shootout events because um they like their main goal was to get there, like brandon sorensen 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 no if i'm not pronouncing yeah. it wrong yeah um like he got his license like that and uh like he went to pro 2 and he did like pretty decent like for you know a kid who's what like 13 14 years old yeah um, 13 15 yeah but he's still like out there driving and then like he did well like he didn't do terrible people did a lot worse than he did oh yeah for sure but you know i mean case specific but he's he's got a, a lot of backing too so that yeah yeah he does helps to be to be able to to go you know no but i see your, i see your point like but i'm just saying that's like yeah. that's another point like in that like for somebody to go do the shootouts because like they know they could afford it, but they don't want to maybe necessarily want to not say waste their money, but if they can get it all in one shot and just knock it out in one day, as opposed to, you know, comp- doing a whole season, I can yeah, see how, sure. cause I would like to do one. Um, but I just want to do one just to kind of like have the experience just to say I did it. Oh, yeah, Nothing for sure. I mean, comp- competing is fun. I mean, you know, there's lots of people that compete that don't have the, desire or whatever to go to fd you know i just think that there's there's a lot of stepping stones and things before you go to fd that i I feel like people skip that they shouldn't i mean even from like a marketing standpoint and stuff like just to build relationships and things like you know you you compete in, in one event to try and reach out to sponsors and to get help and this that I feel like it's a lot easier to get people on board if, if you have more of a, a background and can show more results and things like that. Because, I mean, you know, some people, I guess, you know, do have the financial stability to be able to just pay and do it. But somebody like me that's out there doing it on their own budget, I mean, for me to show up, for me to have never competed before, show up to one event and podium and try and pull off you know getting the help and getting the support and getting the sponsorship to be able to do it i i don't i just don't think i'd be able to pull it off this way you know before i went to pro too i had enough partners and you know enough contacts and and people that believed in me to be able to get enough help to you know afford to do it but i don't know competition drifting has definitely shifted a lot from when whenever i started to now you know it's it's definitely a lot different i don't know it's they think that the stepping stones people take and the way it's approached is definitely a lot different than it was five six seven years ago 
Yeah. I, uh, I just got into it like in 2015, I think, like when I went to my first FD event. And then it's kind of yeah. all downhill from there. So then I started, yeah. and then I went like to competition right away, like a dumbass. And then this year, I finally decided to not enter competition, at least not like pro am to like do a full season of pro am. I just kind of want to focus on actually getting seat time and becoming a better driver before I try to tackle that whole getting the license deal. Yeah, because it's starting to feel like a waste of money, and I know if if I keep doing it, then I'll lose interest because then I just feel like I'm losing money all the time. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I really do feel like you see a lot of these dudes come into pro pro two, and you know they're in there for one season and bail it. And I think it discourages a lot of people. I mean, I knew what I was getting myself into before I went, so yeah. you know, I I love competition, but I feel like a lot of people do. You know, they they go from pro am and you see guys just completely hanging up, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm over it and, and just quit. Um, you know, it's, you know, again, preparation, preparation. It's, if you know what you're getting yourself into, I feel like you have a lot, even if you don't put up the results, but if, if you're not like surprised by what you get yourself into, I feel like you'll still have a, a good time doing it. I mean, that's, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, if you're not having fun doing it, why are you to doing me, it? it's not. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like a lot of people get themselves in over their heads and, and they get discouraged and, you know, that's why they quit. But at the end of the day, regardless if I'm in pro one, you know, winning championships or if I'm driving a grassroots event in a stock 240, if I'm not having fun doing it, you know, What's I, the point? why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I want to do this year is just kind of like have fun driving and then focus on just you know getting better as a driver car setup stuff like that because i don't drive a 240 like everybody else does so i can't just google something um and back to what you said earlier about trying not to reinvent the wheel which is pretty much is basically what i'm trying to do right now like an idiot um but it i also (laughs) still want to have car that i like because i'm not like into imports or anything like that yeah I had an E46 and it really wasn't for me. So when I wrecked it, I was like, "Oh, it's this is uh this is an opportunity to build the car I really want, and it's not the greatest setup." So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said before, you know, it's what works for one person. Yeah, it doesn't work for some. No, I I agree. So like, someone else could probably make this car work. Someone could have just as bad luck as I have. But who knows? Um, what are your uh, goals for this year? Um, honestly, I in FD especially, I think I need to get back to what I just talked about. Just you know, do it for the reasons why I started doing it in the first place, and just enjoy what I'm doing, and not not try and overanalyze things. And I don't I mean honestly, I went from winning everything and doing extremely well and. In pro too, like I've had moments where I felt comfortable, but like I just haven't put up the results in pro two that I, I feel like I'm more than capable of doing. Uh, I just I've, I've struggled more than I thought I would, mm. and uh, to be honest, I, I just think it's I haven't gotten that right. I mean, there's weekends like I, I'll get in the car, like you know, over the years, like you just know from the first run, you're like, all right, I got this. I just I haven't felt 
felt that way in pro too. Like I, I, you know, I, I thought I would. I think I just need to quit overthinking things and, and just get back to the reason why I compete in the first place is because I enjoy it. Just you know, do it for me, have fun, and I think I think the results will show from that. I'll really just get comfortable in this new car, and I'm on I'm on schedule to where I with the with the start of Pro Two being a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I think I should have plenty of test time, so you know just get comfortable in the car, get some seat time in it, and you know go out and I think the results will follow. Just be comfortable, be confident, have fun, not overthink things, relax, and just you know drive away. I'm, I know I can. It's just just getting there, and you know, like I said earlier, it's it's the big stage. It's you know this and that, and it's limited time, this and that. But yeah, the day when you get in the car, I guess you just got to buckle down. I'm like, all right, this is you know, I know how to do this. It's nothing new. It's just you know, go out there and do it. So. Yeah. Do you uh do you get like super nervous or anything like that during qualifying? Honestly, no. I don't. I don't really get crazy nervous. I mean, I feel like I'll more get in my head, like and just be like, I'm not doing that well. More than like get nervous. Like, I, I, if I'm not doing well in practice, I might not do well in qualifying. But like, I'm not the kind of person that's gonna go out there and like completely kill it in practice and then just completely blow it qualifying like i feel like i'm i'm pretty consistent on my driving you know i get i'm not saying i don't ever make mistakes but if i'm doing well i'm doing well if i'm doing bad oh, okay just, no no, no, no. That, that makes sense but i mean it's you know i think that's like i said i've been driving for 10 years so i think that's one of those things in competition that definitely comes with experience like to me it's like all right well this is just another day you know it's not you know, it, it's nothing new to me. Like once you once you get past that, I, I feel like competition drifting is a lot easier. But like I talked about earlier, it's it's not like most forms of racing where you have an unlimited, you know, or you have you can make fifty mistakes and and still win or whatever. I mean, you you, you definitely have to be on your A game one hundred percent of the time in competition. There's no there's no redos. But I don't know. Like the the it's drifting is definitely a ton metal. You know, it's one of those things that if you don't have your head on straight, you can be the best driver in the world. If you don't have your head on straight and can't, you know, get past that and just do what you need to do, you know, you continually make make, make mistakes. But I've seen a ton of people. That you can put them in practice or just out having fun and they kill it. You put them in competition and just all over the place. Definitely a, a, a mental game for sure. But that's, I don't know, I, I, I almost enjoy that part of it just being able to tune everything out and just go out there and do what you need to do. When you you make mistakes, do you, like, address them, like, right away? Or do you kind of, like, get in your own head and you're like, oh, shit, I keep making mistakes? No, um, I don't... I don't really overthink things, like, to that extent. Like, whenever I make a mistake, it's just like, all right, well, what do I need to do different? Yeah. Sometimes I'll get pissed off and just go out and drive like a complete maniac. Sometimes that's the best. Sometimes that's the best fuel for my fire is just to go out there and be like, "All right, now I'm mad. Like I just need to do it." I don't know. Like when you were playing video games as a kid and you would eat like a gummy word, you're like, oh, "I'm gonna play for real now." <laughs> yeah. My my uh my one crew crew guy uh, Nick, he's helped me for a long time. 
he always called it flicking the switch. Like, I'll get in the zone. Like, my worst battle and worst thing for me is top 16. First battle, like, that is – if I'm going to make a dumb mistake and do something stupid, it's going to be in top 16. Like, you put me in the finals, I I'm not going to make any mistakes. Like, once I'm to that point, I'm, like, so in the zone, I just I – don't, I don't mess up. Like, if I'm going to do something stupid, it's going to be against somebody I know I should beat. Like, if I'm going against, you know, James Dean, I, I, I'm not going to screw up. Like, because I'm just like, all right, well, I have something to prove here. Like, I know I'm not supposed to win this, so I'm just going to drive like a maniac. Like, some people are the opposite of that. Like, they get intimidated by a big, you know, somebody that's... Yeah, I see what you're saying. A higher level or whatever. Like, to me, I've always thrived off of being the underdog like that's that's whenever i do some of my best driving but like there's just certain events that, that you're in the zone and there's just certain events that don't things don't click i guess so but and it's that's tough in a in a four event schedule and, and especially with pro two this year is a little more tighter schedule but it's tough to get in a rhythm in four events and i feel like that's a lot in competition or in racing in general is once, once you get in a rhythm and, and things are working and things are clicking, I feel like that makes it a lot easier to do good too. But, you know, if you, if things are get disrupted and not in a rhythm and things just aren't going well, I feel like that just tends to continue suit. But I kind of like the, uh, the way Pro 2 is this year with the schedule being tighter. I think it'll – and plus, you know, having two basically Pro 2 cars now, so I'll be – I'll be driving my S14 and other things and then hopping in the Pro 2 car to do that. So I think that'll help a lot too is just, just being in the in the competition mode and the competition atmosphere more than just four events. I are think you, that'll help a lot. Are you getting a lot of seat time outside of the Pro 2 or were you? Or were you only doing Pro um, 2? Last year, I, drove, I have a... Uh, my old S13 is actually a, a KAT setup now. Uh, it's got like an ISR performance 3871, just like a basic setup. It makes like 280 wheel. Mm. Um, I drive that car quite a bit. And honestly, yeah, like that, that helps a lot. Just going out tandeming, like getting seat. I mean, like the Pro 2 car, you, you can't, you can't go out for a practice day and drive all day. Like it costs you thousands of dollars to go do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Tires this are where expensive. My S13, oh yeah. Like my S13, I can put a setup. $70 a piece or $65 a piece, you know, 225s on it and drive all day long on one set of tires. You know, like it's, it's so much cheaper. And honestly, it's just, it's so enjoyable to go out and drive. Like I, I would recommend that to anybody that's, that does, you know, competition and has like a, a badass competition car or whatever. Build something that you can afford to drive all the time. Like, I think that helps tremendously in results and, just getting seat. I mean, it doesn't even, you know, like people could argue the point. Oh well, it's not a, it's not a 700 horsepower car, and it's you know you're running small tires, this or that, this or that. To me, I think seat time is seat time, reaction time is reaction time. Like you're always you're learning something every time you're behind a wheel, whether it's in a pro car or whether it's in a, a stock 350Z or a stock 240. You're always learning something. You're always picking up on something. So I think that. You know, seat time, seat time. The the pro cars are so expensive to drive. A lot of people don't get any practice in between, you know, pro two events and stuff. But I think that's a a key thing is 
you know, build, get something that you can drive and you can go out to local events and, and still drive. Like don't, if you only drive four events a year, I mean, you're going to be rusty every time you get in the car, you know? Yeah. So I think a big thing is just getting seat time, seat time, seat time. That, that helps tremendously. Yeah. That's the, that's what I want to do this year. But I also need to, I bought, I put some cheap parts on the car and it didn't pay off so well. So I'm trying to like spend a couple extra bucks this time and like get it going. So we're all the only fucking thing I want to do this year is change oil and if, like, an axle or a diff breaks or something like that, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But those aren't too expensive anyways. And I got spares. Um, but I don't want to... I don't want... I fucking... Honestly, I really hate working on cars. Uh, as much as I... <laughs> I enjoy it, but I, I hate it at the same time. Because it's like... I just... I'm lazy. And I really don't want to do it. So I'd rather just do it right the first time now. So I'm redoing a whole bunch of stuff that I've kind of not done so well in the past. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, I mean, that is one thing I can say about my Pro 2 car. I mean, we might not have had the greatest results hundred percent of the time, but you know, my, my, me and my guys, like we make sure everything's a hundred percent on the car and we, we don't have mechanical failures. Like just we nut and bolt check everything constantly. I mean, that's another thing I, I, I think is good advice for anybody getting in the Pro 2 or, you know, whatever, especially when, like I said, you know, you only got four runs in practice or whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things, you know, if you have something stupid break in practice and, you know, you, you're you out for a run. Okay, you get four runs before qualifying. You just blew, blew 25% of your practice over something stupid, you know. So I think that's one of the other big things is preparation. Yeah, whether, so. it, whether it's the truck, the trailer, the car, like, check everything. And, you know, you're driving halfway across the country, check trailer wheel bearings, you know, check the truck, like, check everything twice. Like, save yourself problems. I mean, I've seen a ton of people break down on trips, not be able to make events, this and that, this and that. Oh, shit, really? Just, like, just trying oh, yeah. to get to Pro 2? Damn. Yeah, I've seen that happen a few, a few times, like, things happen and people scramble and trying to get places like check everything twice before you go on these trips uh and, and once you're at the track like if you're not standing around not doing anything before qualifying practice put, you know nut and bolt things on the car check uh, is a line rubbing is this gonna you know something gonna get a hole burn just like stupid shit like that the stupidest things will take you out and i think you know that's good advice for anybody getting into into that whenever you're limited so much on track time like double check, triple check everything, you know. Use your time wisely. Yes, for sure. Because it sometimes in Pro Two, you'll sit around for a few hours and not have anything to do, and then other times it's like as fast as you can do it, as fast as you can go. But you know, whenever, use your downtime wisely. Like double check, triple check, you know, make sure everything's ready to go. And I think I think that's helped a lot, you know, for me and my team. You know, on on mechanical failures and, and things like that, it's just making sure everything's ready to go, and it definitely that definitely helps a ton. Have you had any big mechanical failures? In pro too, no, I, I haven't had any issues at all. Knock on wood. Jesus, that's nice. well, other than other than Texas, we we had a little bit of a an electrical issue with the car cutting out, but other than that, I mean, no. Um, 
that is one thing when I built my Pro 2 car, I, I didn't spare any expense on parts. You know, with like, with like a quick change, a winner's quick change, and a dry shaft, shop axles, the ACT clutch. I mean, I ran the same clutch all, all year this year. Uh, the transmissions and things, just regular oil changes and checking things constantly. I mean, I've had, I've been extremely fortunate with how, how well that end of things has went. Uh, the cars held up phenomenally. But spend spend money where it needs to be spent. But, you know, there's some things that aren't as crucial that you can you can save on. But what would you say those things are? Uh, for for pro two or for drifting in general uh you know with so the rule book is trickling down to pro-am now um it hasn't been like officially announced yet but it is happening so we're gonna so pro-am is gonna have to comply with like a lot of the safety rules and stuff like that so basically car build but what would you say that what would you consider an item like to be an overbuild item where it can just be um you could wait till later. Um, honestly, one of the one thing I, I could say on my S14 that has always worked well that you know a lot of people do, like with steering angle stuff. I mean, I run a factory knuckle, cotton weld knuckle, and I move the steering rack and just like use factory parts. But you know. It works well for me. That's all what I've always driven. We're not going to do the same thing on the BRZ. We're actually going to use a FDF fab on the BRZ. But for someone that's, you know, in say Pro Am or even Pro Two, if you can make things yourself that works for you and works well, versus doing, you know, say like why? Okay, say say you do Wise Fab, and you're in Pro Two. Okay, so you you buy one Wise Fab kit. It's two thousand dollars, and you're going to drive to California and you don't have spares. It's like, okay, you, you hit the wall or somebody hits you in practice and you bend a control arm and you're scrambling around trying to, trying to find another control arm, whatever. It's the where like me, I can build an entire steering setup for my S14 for a couple hundred bucks and have spares of absolutely everything. You know, things like that, that people like, you know, back to the whole what works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. Like, people think that they have to have the best of the best, you know, this or that, this or that. There's things you can, you know, do on your own, make yourself and save yourself a ton of money, you know, and have be able to have spares and things like that. If something's working for you, you know, use it. Like, you know, if you have a steering setup that works, maybe you don't need to go spend $2,000, $2,500 on something else, you know. Things like that, I, like, I feel has helped me a lot and saved me a lot of money. And, and you know, instead of spending $2,000 on a steering setup or $2,000 on this, you know, go go out and drive another couple extra practice days or get some more seat time in the car. Things like that. I, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I didn't really... I kind of had like parts already, like I had a fuel cell and I had a radiator, but it had a really bad weight distribution, so I decided to put the radiator in the back, and that just kind of created a bigger problem with spending more money and all kinds of other fun stuff, so I'm trying. I never went went rear mount until I, I, when I built my S14, I did a rear mount, but my S13, like the whole way through Canada days and competition stuff, it was always, you know, front mount radiator, but... Yeah, I mean, 
one thing that I run that people nowadays it seems like are getting away from is a, is a four speed. You know, you see a lot of people now like Pro Two. They're like, oh, I need a sequential. Like, eh. Do you? <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> like... I, I'm not really sold on the whole. That's that's another thing. I'm not really sold on that everybody else does with the sequential stuff. I mean, a sequential transmission's what ten, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, that's getting free, of... man. No. Um, I I stick with the four speed. I just just got the four speed for the BRZ the other day. I've been around the same four speed in my S14 for two full seasons with no issues at all. I've never replaced the faceplate, dog ring, nothing. Like change oil regularly, that's it. And the advantage to a four speed, you know, I don't have a spare transmission. Well, I mean, technically I guess I do now. If if something would break in the BRZ before a Pro Two event, I could take the transmission out of my S14, you know, or something like that. But at the event with a four speed, you know, like okay, say you say you break or say you tear the faceplate up for fourth gear and it's kicking out of fourth gear. With a quick change, it's like all right, no big deal. Drain the oil of the transmission, you know, regear the car around third. Is the word in my eyes like a, a sequential being so, you know, internally they're so more so much more complicated. If you break it, you're kind of just done. I mean, there's not really a whole lot you can do. Is the word a four speed? It's a lot simpler and things. So there's sometimes simpler is better especially when you have issues so you know things like that i have you know that's one of my theories on on that just simple 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 is a lot of times better but i guess that's debatable some people have their own opinions on things but yeah that's i don't i like the four speed i don't have a dog box i have like a old muncie four speed transmission so yeah, if I, mean, I ever do go dog box, like I don't have to worry about replacing like a bell housing or getting a new drive shaft or anything like that. It's pretty much bolts up the same exact way. Oh yeah, I mean a four speed, it's an expensive dog box to a Muncie is basically the same thing. I mean more or less. So yeah, so it doesn't it won't hold as much power, but it's working for Pro Am. Yeah, I mean internally it's damn near the same thing, you know. So, but you know back to simplicity yeah yeah simplicity just don't try and reinvent the wheel when you're building a car i mean change one thing at a time sometimes you know that's the thing too like from pro am to pro too like if you are going to change things i'm not saying there's anything wrong with improving things but change things that like if it doesn't work don't change 10 things at once if you change something you know work on that figure it out and then change something else you know you can always improve but if you change 10 things at once and you go out and the car is terrible, it's like, okay, where do I even start now? You know? Yeah. It's, it's harder to pinpoint things and, and get back to, you know, being comfortable in the car and things. So if you, you know, if something's working, like that's, that's kind of what I've done with this BRZ build is everything that worked flawlessly on my S14. I'm kind of just, copying over to this car I mean, yeah it's a different chassis a lot of things are different but, but like drive things that work and stuff like that yeah yeah everything that's worked I, I pretty much replicated to this car and and you know back to the spares thing if i do everything the same on this car and i would have something break i mean like for example the uh like from florida to new jersey this year is like two weeks so yeah, if you break that's... a transmission break a transmission or something that's not an overnight part 
if I have it the same between both cars and I get in a pinch, I can pull something off one car, switch it to the other, you know, and be ready to go again. So, you know, to me, that's make things be between the two cars as similar as possible. That way I can, you know, basically have two of everything and not have to buy two of everything. So. Yeah. And then, but you know, the added expense of building a second car is, you know, I don't know like what kind of backing you're getting, but you know, that's, that's not always an option for a lot of the other drivers. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, the spares is definitely a, a huge thing in, in pro two and stuff. We, we're traveling all that way. Like I said, you know, you, you don't have a spare for something and something goes wrong and you traveled all that way. It's a, you know, something can take you out very easy if you don't have a spare, but Definitely, you know, there's there's certain places that you can afford to cheap out on or certain places you definitely need to spend the money in the first place. And in the end, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, don't but, buy a cheap clutch. I'll just recommend that. <laughs> yeah. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah, I've, I've always ran ACT and they actually last year I started working with them. You know, they started backing me. I ran all season long in Pro 2 on the same clutch and I, at the end of the year, I pulled it, and it was, like, still over 50% life on the plates. Like, you know, things like that is just, you know, you have a, have a clutch issue or something like that in practice. Like, you know, how many hours does it take you to pull pull the transmission, pull everything, replace a clutch? I mean, that, that could be all of your practice gone. Yep. You know, like, things like that that aren't easily, easily accessible and easily, you know, replaced, spend the money on it and you know, that'll, that'll definitely get you out of a pinch in a lot of times in competition too. Yeah. But definitely certain places you can cut corners and save some money, but there's also certain things that definitely make sense to just spend the money in the first place and buy the best of the best to begin with. But, but um, damn, that's a, that's a lot of information the process hopefully uh people listen to it because i'm a terrible person who like listens to something and then i'm like it goes right out the other ear <laughs> I'm, i hate that i'm like that it drives me nuts and i can't help yeah it. I, I mean i try and take advice from people you know i i, I have some random bullheaded theories that on things that I, I it's hard for me to stray away from but yeah, yeah it's you know, definitely, definitely take all of, you know, it's one thing I could tell people, you know, take advice from people. And I'm not saying you have to do exactly what everyone else is doing because everybody has their own formulas to success. But, you know, definitely, definitely take advice and listen to what people have to say because that'll, that'll help you out a lot in the, in the long run for sure. But Yeah, I'm trying to do that this year. That's why I was like, let's just back out of competition and, uh, you know, focus on the car and driving more to get that seat time. The less oh, expensive sure. seat time than, you know, going to a prom event. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple Instagram questions for you. Uh, right. I think we kind of spoke about it, but SD Drift Team 180SX asked, what's his plan for 2020? I know about clutch kickers, but what about Pro 2? 
Yeah, so uh, the BR with the BRZ driving for PLR Motorsports will be you know the four Pro Two events. Um, I think we're going to do grid, two grid lives, and like uh, grid life hasn't released what they exactly they're doing yet as far as schedule, but um, probably do the two grid lives in this car. So uh, as as of now, six events in the in the BRZ, and then uh, in my personal S14, my old Pro Two car. Um, going to try and run all the clutch kickers events in florida um nd drift in north dakota did that 10k drift challenge last year mm-hmm. um going to try and do that one in the s14 and then the dmcc just released their schedule and uh there's actually one in ontario canada which is only about four and a half five hours from me so i'm going to try and do that one too as long as everything lines up with fd and everything else and you know have the money to do it um that's going to do that one in the s14 and my S13, my old car, it's the KAT car, uh, just my practice car. Um, I really don't have any set schedule for that car. It's kind of, you know, if I feel like going and driving in the local event or whatever, I just kind of, you know, load it up and go do it. Yeah. No, nothing set in stone for that. I don't really. It's like if you have a couple schedule. bucks in your pocket and tires on the car and you have nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But that's what I do with that one. Yeah. That's, uh, I know. I want to get another car and actually have that set up so i can actually drive the car there um because we have like a few local tracks out here and then we have like pretty much a drift day every weekend so i'd yeah. like to get that set up just to get like as much seat time as possible but i want to finish yeah, this sure. car first before i do all that fun stuff uh i got one from turbo kush rd if you were restarting your program what chassis would you pick chassis Sorry. um From a competition standpoint, I mean, I don't know. It's, I will, like I said, I've always drove S chassis, so it's kind of hard for me to touch on anything else. Um, I mean, I'm excited to drive this BRZ and figure it out, but you know, from a money standpoint, it, like the you know, obviously to buy a brand new, this car had thirty four thousand miles on it when I pulled it in my garage and destroyed it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, from an original investment standpoint, you know, it, it's an S chassis or a, a Z or, you know, BMWs are reasonably priced now. I don't know. It's That's kind of hard to say. Um, I've always had good luck in S chassis, so, you know, I wouldn't, for somebody starting, I definitely wouldn't tell them not to do an S chassis. Um, it really just, you know, depends on the resources you have and what you prefer to drive, I guess. Um, you know, for somebody starting out, anything that parts are readily available, cheap, and, you know, something that you don't have to try and reinvent the wheel to drive, you know, be yeah, able don't to do that. buy off-the-shelf stuff. Yeah, uh, I don't have that option, so. Cadillac yeah. CTSVs don't have much support yeah, that's to begin with. And then to try to drift one, it's not fun. My buddy, uh, my buddy John, uh, builds Bill Austin Meeks's car, so he might have some insight for you. You could hit him up on on the Cadillac stuff. Oh, they're a way different car, unfortunately. Oh, Between really? the CTS and the ATS, yeah, they have like a they have a McPherson front where I have a double wishbone. Um, uh, I have like aftermarket some stuff in the rear, like for aftermarket, but you know, it's just like 
control arms, a trailing arm that's not even adjustable. Um, like Phil makes suspension for it, but it's just it's kind of limited. Uh, yeah, I mean when you, you but know, it looks cool. <laughs> but it does. It's definitely look, more difficult. You yeah. don't even have a starting. You know, it's just kind of like a whole new thing where you got to yeah, figure I, it out on your own. That, yeah, that, that's I, definitely definitely difficult. I just got like some cut and welded knuckles, and those those are also fun to deal with. Um, but I also got another question from Piston Head Productions. He said, "Why do they call him Squirt?" <laughs> uh the nickname Squirt started. Matt Petty from Club Loose actually started that way back in the day, because I started driving. You know, when the first time I showed up at English Town, I was like barely 16 years old, <laughs> and he just said, "Hey," he just said, "He said, hey, Squirt," because I was like, you know, I was a little kid. And it was all downhill so from there. That, that's how that started, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. That's funny. Uh, I got another one from Adam. I'm going to butcher your name, man. Sorry, dude. Adam Bergener. Funnest moment on the road since you started drifting? Adam Adam was one of my crew guys this year for Fro 2. How do you pronounce his last name? Bergener. Oh, shit. I almost had it. That was close. All right. Yeah. Cool. Oh, man. Funnest moment on the road. That's that's what, <laughs> I've had some wild experiences on the road, that's for sure. Uh, we went to I mean, as far as like a from an event standpoint, like just on how we did, um me and my buddy Nick and uh a good friend of mine, Jimmy, his he actually passed away earlier this year. We went to Memphis, Tennessee for a, I don't know if you remember the Turismo Drift Series. We went to we went to Memphis. It was like fourteen and a half hour drive, and like I was kind of like broke at the time. I'm like, God, it was five thousand to win. I'm like, we gotta win this event. I was like, I'm like, out of money. I was like, we, we need to win this event. And it was like, they had enough drivers for a top thirty two, and it was like hundred and ten degrees out that day. It was ridiculously hot. Drove the whole way from top thirty two, ended up winning the event. And I was like, all right, like we're good to go for a few events, like. I don't know. That to me was a, a big win and a lot of fun. I've had a few events where I, you know, just experiences like on the track and you drive really well that are just, you know, unbelievable. It's just like the best feeling ever whenever you do really well and win. I, but I don't know. From a from an off the track standpoint, honestly, I have fun everywhere I go. Like that's one of the the biggest things I I enjoy about. FD is just getting to travel and, and go see different places. I mean, I've been to damn near every state. I've been to different countries to drive. You know, there's a lot of things that, a lot of places I've been that were an absolute blast that if I didn't drift, I would have never went to. You know, so that's one thing the competition drifting has done for me, like on and off the track thing, is just getting to see different places, meet different people, and getting to experience different things. And if it wasn't for that, I'd I'd never been there. You know, so. That's that's one of the biggest things I enjoy about it. And, and, you know, on a weekend you don't do well or whatever. Just take the time to stop places or take the time to go here, go there, see this, see that. You know, that makes it a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable too, even if you don't don't have the best weekend in the world. Mm. You know, the best weekend, just enjoy where you're at. You know, go see things, have fun, 
off the track just as much as you do on the track. I think that's a good piece of advice for anybody competing too. Yeah, that's something I want to do is actually do an event outside of California this year as well. Or at least outside of the local scene I've been going to. Just something, if it's a Vegas event, Arizona, even like Northern Cali stuff, just get out of this small SoCal circle and go do something else. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. One thing I do really enjoy is, you know, as a Pro 2 driver and a lot of people look up to me, you know, because of what I've done in competition. It's just going to a local event and driving with people and, like, you know, talking to people. And, and there's a lot of people that come up and, like, ask advice and things like that. I really enjoy talking to people and just, you know, giving them my two cents and having conversation and, you know, maybe helping somebody out yeah. with mistakes that I've made. You know, it might help somebody, somebody else not have to – blow their money or make the same dumb mistake i did you know coming through so i i enjoy that aspect of drifting for sure yeah that's you know yeah that's something you know um like people when they see my card like it, when i go to the grassroots events because i'm usually the only v8 guy there um because i normally don't go to like the the bigger grassroots events where like all the local program guys are at uh, my car's always yeah. just happens to be broken or i don't have the money to go so when I go to the yeah. little ones, like everyone's like, "Oh shit!" Like that's a nice car, and I'm like, mm, "I don't drive that good. Don't get your hopes up." Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Adam asked another question. He said, uh, "Make him talk about his favorite comp he has ever done. Probably gonna be a Canada event." Favorite comp? Hmm. Um, from a from just like an overall fun like just the atmosphere and everything i have two hyperfest and when they used to do that and at summit point west virginia like that the, that place was uh, for a pro-am event i wish they would still do that like for pro-am guys there was like ten thousand plus spectators there it was just a wild party that was a ton of fun i got to win that the last year they did it there won an electric guitar for first place so that was a pretty sweet trophy oh nice uh, a, a useful Life trophy Court, I, yeah, I actually don't know how to play guitar, but it's still a pretty badass trophy. <laughs> Just learn how to play Smoke but, on the Water. You'll be all right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm a lot better at driving than <laughs> I am at playing any sort of musical instrument. Uh, Street Life Tour in Ohio is always a good one. There's, like I said, a, a ton of ton of spectators. and I wish I, That's one thing I wish that in drifting would happen more is the bigger lower level stuff, you know, like the pro-ams and things like back when I started, there was outside of FD, there was events that drew a ton of spectators and was a blast. That's, that's one thing I wish would happen more is, you know, the event promoters getting more spectators out and throw out the big payouts and things, which look like it's clutch kicker series. I met those dudes when I was out in North Dakota this year and, uh, Nick, uh, Castleberry, he's started that series. Um, you know, I, I think that's a good thing for drifting, you know, throwing out the big payout. And, as you, you know, I don't know if you saw the driver's list for that, but Alec Honnadel and uh, Kevin Lawrence and a few other FD guys are coming out. Like, I think that's a good good thing for drifting. And, you know, give give people another option too. Yeah. Competition-wise, you know. But I, How does I like the clutch the big- kickers thing work? You have to be accepted to drive? I assume. No, anybody can anybody can register. 
Oh shit. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's good to know. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I, I saw a few things online where people were like, oh, well, people showing up in pro cars and they're going to walk away and this and that. Like like I said before, I was always, I always thrived off. Yeah, I've always thrived off the underdog shit. You know, that's how I always did so well. And I think people think that just because you show up in a pro car, you can't lose. It's like, well, first off, that track that they're driving on is extremely small. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know what you're doing and you can wheel – you can show up there in a 300 horsepower car and mop the field. You know, it's, it's one of those tracks. It's not Irwindale. It's not Texas. It's wheel to wheel, door to door shit. You know, if you know how to drive, you can show up there in anything and win. And I like those kind of events because it definitely levels the playing field. Like you can't just show up in the biggest, baddest car and win. I enjoy that kind of driving and, I'm a, that event's here in a few weeks, second weekend of February, so I'm excited to get down there and see what that's all about. I've never driven the track before, but it looks fun, so. Yeah. Did you uh, did you get any questions? I know you posted it on your uh, story as well. Um, I got a few on uh, competing in Pro 2, how did I start, where I recovered at. Uh, somebody asked about DMCC, and like I said, they have one It's like four and a half hours to my house. So um, I'm probably going to do that one uh, for Canada. Um, thoughts on the FD rules. I'm not even sure what all is new in the rule book. Uh, there was one about some ECU stuff. like Yeah, I saw Kevin that. You have to plug to put, for it? Yeah, the data log shit. Um, I think what they're trying to accomplish with that is just like traction control and things like that. Trying to eliminate the possibility of any of that. Um I mean, that's not a big deal. The link, my ECU will transmit all that shit. So I just have to contact. I actually need to ask Kevin about that, see exactly what I have to do for that. But that's not a big deal to me. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot of other rule changes or major, just like some stupid safety shit, like shift boots. Um, tire yes. rules are the same as far as like tire size and all that. So What really tires are you on? Uh, I was on Nexon last year. Yeah, S4Gs. Pretty good tire. I'm not. I really haven't secured any tire deal this year yet, for sure. So, not 100% sure what's going on there. As far as I know, uh, Nexon and Achilles are still the only two suppliers for Pro Two. So, how does that work? Do you just because it says like I read the rule book, it says just email them and then you could just order tires through them, or do you have to have like a deal with them? Um, you can work deals with them. Some, some, a few drivers have deals, but the thing about it is um, they kind of have a monopoly, but, you know, with the, the tire companies, you have to run next and Achilles. So really, if you want to compete, they don't have to give a deal to anybody. So, um, I've had a pretty good relationship with next and so I'm sure I can get something to work that with them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of tough to get you know, a tire deal with, with the way FD works things and, and only a few suppliers. Yeah. Because, you know, they, don't have, they really don't have to give anybody anything. It's just kind of, you know, what kind of relationship you have with them. I know. And then I saw GT Radio coming in as the official tire of FD next year, and I was like, huh, I wonder if that means they're going to be supporting Pro 2 as well, and it doesn't say anything in the rule book yet. I was going to say, as far as I know, GT Radio is not in Pro 2. I, I don't, I'm not sure. 
Um, I'm not sure what they're coming out with as far as a tire either. If they have a new new compound, new tire, I'm not sure what they're doing Yeah. with that either. Um, that I was with the press conference that seemed when they released that they were coming back, but I actually haven't heard of any drivers going to them or what they're bringing in the way of tires or if they had anything new or anything like that. I haven't heard any news about them. Yeah. But, alrighty, man. I'm going to cut it here. We're cutting into two hours right now. Um, thank you for coming on, and I wish you the best of luck next season. Hey, thanks for having me on, and maybe mid-season or something, I have to catch up again and see how things are going. But definitely, yeah. Like I, like I said, uh, now that I released it on here, I'll be start start uh, posting up about the build, and you know, getting some pictures online of what I've done so far with this new BRZ and what I got going on for the new year. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, anybody follow me on Instagram? It's Troy Manners One Hundred Nine. Like I said, I'll be. I'm getting getting a lot more content up here within the next next few weeks, getting up to present date on this build and what all I've done to it so far. So Yeah, and if you want, you're more than welcome to do like any sponsor shout outs or anything like that. Yeah, so far on the on the BRZ build, um, like I said, PRL owns the car, so they're the main title on the car. Uh we're working with Neo Motorsport again, um Link on the ECU and Went to one of their digital dashes this year. We're going to rerun the same ECU on the on this car as the S14 Link Fury. Oh, okay. uh, VP Fuels is helping us out again. Oh, uh, CSF radiators and on the radiator and cooling products. Um, fuel Safe helped us out with the fuel cell. Uh, XXR wheels they've been a long time help of mine. Uh, ACT clutches. Um, still still have a, a few deals in the. In the works. In the, in the works for the BRZ. ISRs helped, always helped me out with my S chassis stuff the last few years. Um, they don't make a whole lot of new products to the BRZ, but we're going to be using some of their new fuel system components on it, uh, e-brake and, you know, some things like that. Yeah, sweet. But, uh, yeah, i got a got a lot of a lot of people on, on board so far with this program, so really sad as it comes it's still early in the year so i'm still working on some deals and stuff but yeah those don't happen overnight <laughs> yeah 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 it always takes a lot of time to get that stuff rolling. but you know, like i said i'll be, be putting everything up about this car so it'll it's a pretty sweet pretty sweet build i'm pretty happy with how it's coming out so can't wait to drive it perfect man all right so you have a good night hey you too thanks for all having right. me on thank you bye